Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And as always, this is my favorite podcast because that means it is Friday. So we got two competing reports that we are going to be talking about that, well, I we got two reports that look like they are competing, like that they're the data should not match up, but it does. You got to put them in context, and that's what we're going to be doing. So we're going to start with the latest report from Redfin looking at the June housing market. I know you're going to be shocked by this, but it's showing that things are slowing down. Things are cooling down, if you will. I don't know what's better, slowing or cooling. I'm, I haven't really, I, I kind of use them interchangeably. I feel like it works. I'm not sure if they've done polling on this and figured out which word is better. And so they found that inventory levels were up for the first time in three years. And I will I will give that a round of applause, <laughs> like a golf clap. We, we get the British Open going on, or the Open, as it likes to be called. So maybe we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a little golf clap there. Well, a little faster, because I don't, don't want it to be a slow clap and start an applause. It's just a little golf clap that we have. Inventory levels are up for the first time in three years. They are at 1.45 million, just shy of 1.451 million. This is up 2.4% from the prior month. And interestingly enough, new listings were only up 0.1% for the month at 363,500, which is actually down 2.4% year over year. So we got inventory levels up. And because listings weren't up by a lot, it makes you realize that demand is being kind of suppressed. That's Remember, that's what rates are supposed to do. That's what's supposed to be happening in higher rates, with elevated home prices means fewer buyers. And so the fact that we didn't see this big jump in listings, it's a demand side. Or that's where you're seeing the slowing. The slowing is happening on the demand side. Now, Daryl Fairweather, the Redfin chief economist, said that if you were looking to sell, now's the time to do it. This is it. It's probably not the peak. We're probably a little bit off the peak but it's still pretty close. She said in a statement, I advise sellers to commit. If you decide to sell, do it quickly before demand potentially falls further. The Fed has signaled it may increase interest rates further to combat stubbornly high inflation. And yeah, we saw that yesterday with the CPI report, which could harm consumer confidence and lower stock prices mean fewer prospective home buyers can afford a down payment. Now, here's the real kicker, because normally it's like, oh, well, inventory's up and some places are different than others, and that's true, but not one single metro area saw home sales increase when compared to June 2021. Not one. That is a broad-based cooling of the housing market. Greenville, South Carolina had the smallest decline, with sales only dropping 2.3% year over year. And West Palm Beach, Florida saw the largest decline with sales falling 34.1% compared to the same time last year. And I know what you're thinking. What about prices? Good question. The median sales price did fall, not by a lot, 
0.4% to $428,400, but that's still up 11.2% when compared to the same time last year. So we get this report, inventory levels are up. We got demand being, well, suppressed by the Fed and interest rates you know, rising, which leads to mortgage rates rising, which leads to fewer buyers because we haven't seen like a ton of sellers. At least, once again, I'm talking nationwide. These are nationwide numbers. You can look at individual markets and seeing a lot more homes being listed. But for the most part, you're seeing the demand side that is really causing the cooling in the housing market. But you look at this data and you have to wonder, what about the sort of big picture? What about historical data? Where are we with regards to historical numbers with regards to housing? And I am so glad you asked that question because there was a big report that came out on Thursday that told us just that fact or facts, plural, a lot of data in this report. So when it comes to housing shortages, Normally, like me, you think, you know, New York City, maybe Washington, D.C., San Francisco, anywhere in California, really. Those are the cities that come to mind when you think about housing shortages. However, thanks to the after effects of the Great Recession, housing production fell. We saw, you know, construction fall off. We saw, you know, huge job losses in construction and home production just fell off a cliff. And so because of that, we are now in a situation where housing underproduction has reached unprecedented levels, and it is bad. And I do need to stress something. This report looked at the time between 2012 and 2019. So we're not even talking about the pandemic craziness. This is between 2012 and 2019. So this is a new report um, from... Up for growth, which highlights the one issue causing this current housing crisis, and that is underproduction. According to the authors of this piece, Mike Kinsella and Leanne MacArthur, the United States is ready for this 3.8 million homes short of meeting housing needs. That is double the number that we were at in 2012. Seven years, doubled that number. That's not good. That's not good at all. The housing deficit became more severe in 230 metropolitan areas between 2012 and 2019. Only 25 regions saw their housing deficit shrink. Metro areas are experiencing underproduction and it jumped 69% to 169 in 2019. And here's where it gets even more complicated. So we know the problem. I mean, we know what it is. We've talked about it here before. We've, you know, we've seen estimates from Freddie Mac, Mortgage Bankers Association, National Association of Real. I mean, there's, there's a ton of data out there. I mean, the housing shortage is anywhere from two to four million. We've talked about it. So now this report is saying 3.8 million. So we know the problem. Well, so that must mean we know the solution. Well, I mean, we kind of do. We know that we need more houses out there, but each area and why they are having a housing shortage is different. In Detroit, for example, under production 
is being driven by uninhabitable units. All those dilapidated buildings that just completely fell apart are still sitting there. And they are unlivable. They might as well be vacant lots. In fact, that might even be better to some extent. That might actually encourage people to build there versus having to buy it, you know, demolish the place. Almost rather have vacant lots. In Washington, D.C., underproduction is fueled by a lack of household formation. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it kind of does because it's kind of like a feedback loop because what's happening in D.C. is it's so expensive that people are living with roommates, which is fine but they should not be living with roommates. And so what's happening is, is that you're not seeing any kind of real demand. So everything kind of stagnates. So prices, I mean, DC is one of the areas that has seen the one of the least, or one of the places that's seen the least growth during this pandemic boom with regards to houses, because you have people moving there, getting roommates, and so you're not seeing any new household formation. So the prices are just kind of remaining where they are but you're also at the same time not seeing any new inventory or new buyers. So everything's just kind of, it's like Japan. It's like stagnant. Nothing's really happening, but you need new formation to encourage builders to build new houses. And it's like I said, it's like a feedback loop where you need the demand to encourage builders. And then the builders will encourage demand and the cycle kind of continues. That's the positive cycle. You know, they see the demand, builders build. People see building, they create new households. It's it's that's the that's the beneficial cycle. The bad cycle is when people don't see building and decide to not maybe look for a place of their own. So they stay with family, they you know, get a roommate, whatever it is. And so because there's no household formation, then builders don't build. And that's a bad feedback loop. You don't want that. And then in places like Sacramento. There's just lack of homes. <laughs> Nothing more complicated than that. Uh, and just so you know, I know you're going to be shocked by this. California has the largest deficit. What? I am just, what? You mean the place that basically has forbidden building for decades and decades has the biggest How? I'm just shocked by that. I'm just- <laughs> I mean, the place where the average home is like $700,000. Oh, my gosh. So they have a deficit of 980000 Now, think about that. The entire country is 3.8 million homes underbuilt. They're responsible for almost a million in one state. <laughs> and I know, I know, they're the most populous state. But, I mean, come on. A little imbalance there. Uh, Mississippi is the has the smallest deficit. They're only 1,000. Only a thousand. We can knock that out in a weekend. Thousand houses. But so here's the good news. So we got some good news for you. There is more housing under construction right now nationwide than we have seen since the 1970s. Awesome news. There we go. We're going to make a dent. Here's the problem. Robert Dietz, chief economist of the National Association of Home Builders, is not sure that's going to last. He told the New York Times that, quote, rising interest rates and a fear of a looming recession means that home builders are already starting to pull back. And that's, that goes back to that feedback, the, the feedback loop. There we go. <laughs> that I was talking about, which is interest rates go up. All of a sudden demand kind of falls and builders go, oh no. And let's face it, you know, builders are shell-shocked from 2008 still. And they're like, any downturn, they're like, oh, we, we got to be careful. We got to make sure. We got to make sure we have cash on hand. Don't overextend, our, don't overextend ourselves, which is great. That's good. You know, you don't want companies doing that. 
But at the same time, you also want to keep it business as usual and not be overprotective. But I don't blame builders for being cautious. I don't think anyone can. I mean, what happened in 2008, no one wants to see that. And so that's why, you know, it's great that lending standards are still solid and that, you know, we're still maintaining, you know, you need to, you know, have certain credit scores. You need to have documentation. We need to make sure we're loaning people the money properly. We're also making sure at the same time that we're not overbuilding in certain areas. And that's one thing you don't hear anyone talking about. So it doesn't matter inventory, vacancy rate is the key. In 2008, the vacancy rate, I believe, hit a historic high. And during the pandemic, it hit a historic low. And so that is probably the best indicator for what is happening with the housing market and are we overbuilt or underbuilt. And I'm still I'm still not convinced, and there's a lot of evidence out there to this, that we weren't necessarily overbuilt during 2008. Sure, there was bad lending and prices probably did get out of control. But if you look at where we are right now, I mean, we, in a, a decade, I should say, we did not go 4 million homes underbuilt. So we were underbuilt during 2008. I mean, that's clear in this report and another evidence out there. But what it tells you is it depends on where you're building and, you know, and how. Once again, you want to have proper lending standards and you want to be building in the areas where people are. I mean, you can build a bunch of homes in certain parts of the country where you're seeing a deficit, which is kind of weird because I think California does have like a deficit with population. More people are leaving and there's still a million homes underbuilt. <laughs> but I mean, this report makes it very clear that we are underbuilt. We've been underbuilt for a long time. And it is in builders' interest to keep building, even as we face an economic downturn. And I hope they do, because otherwise we're going to be stuck in this cycle. And we're not going to see prices fall on homes. And we're going to continue to see this unhealthy appreciation of home prices, which, by the way, it is. You know, home prices jumping 15 20% a year is not healthy. I mean, it's great if you're a homeowner. It's horrible for everyone else which I know there's a lot of homeowners out there. <laughs> but but I mean, even if you're a homeowner and your home jumps up 30 40%, all the other homes did too. So if you're going to move, you then got to find another place and it's going to be just as expensive. And so it only benefits, once again, if you're going to stay in the home for a long time and prices continue to remain elevated. But we are underbuilt and we got to keep building. And I hope that builders continue on this path. Um, real quick here before we go for the week, we did get jobless claims on Thursday as we always do and it was kind of a surprise. They jumped more than expected. They were supposed to just remain at around 235,000. They jumped by 9,000 to 244,000 for the week ending July the 9th and that was actually the highest level since November. And so we know that there's been a real tight labor market. We had that great jobs report last week, and there's this total confusion about, you know, are we in a recession? But if we're in a recession, why are creating all these jobs? And why are initial jobless claims so low? Well, we're finally starting to maybe see the labor market loosen up, which would make sense if we are going into a recession, which pretty much every economist is saying that's going to happen. When? I don't entirely know. But you can't have a recession with a tight labor market. It just doesn't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can. 
This economy is so weird in a lot of ways. Maybe you can. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe we've thrown that out the window. You can have a slowing economy with inflation and a tight labor market. Yeah, why not? A, a new a new kind. We got to come up with a new word because you know, when you have slowing growth and increasing prices, that's stagflation. So what would it be if you have rising prices and a tight labor market with a falling economy? That's going to be our homework for the weekend. We're going to try and think of a word for that, for the economy. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you back here Monday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.